Man, good morning. All right. Any of y'all have a favorite vehicle? Favorite vehicle? But yeah, you got a few there. Okay. If you had the privilege, all right, and money was not an, uh, an object, okay? Uh, if money was not an issue, how many of you would choose your next vehicle to be a Ford? Raise your hand. Ford. Okay. Got some Ford people. Uh, how many, uh, a GM Chevy? All right. Got a few more. How about anything other than those two? A whole lot more. Okay. Okay, good. All right. Let's uh, change it a little bit. Uh, you're going to get a new phone or a computer. Uh, how many are Apple Macs? Apple Macs, quite a few there in the middle. Okay, how many Microsoft PC or, or anything else? Okay, got one. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now let's talk about what really matters with us as Baptists. How many want a Duke mayonnaise? Duke's mayonnaise. Okay, anything else? Okay, nothing. Okay, all right. Uh, Listen, there are certain things, certain items, certain buys, whatever you want to call it. There's certain things that we trust more than others because there's a name that's attached to it. All right. And kids, I know this as a parent. You know this, parents. If a kid says, hey, can I go over to such and such person's house? And then they'll usually quickly say something like this. They're a friend of somebody that you know and trust, right? That, that's how it works with us and our family. If our daughter or so wants to go out to the movies, they'll say, hey, can I go out to the movies with uh, him and her or whatever? They're good friends with that person that you really know and love. You know what I'm saying? And so somehow that's supposed to lessen the blow for us and, the, and so we could say yes. But that's just, that's the reality. Uh, a name has a lot to do with trust. Even in our own lives. Today we're going to discuss the importance of God's name. And how we should honor it. Not only from our lips, but also for our lives. Okay, we are in a sermon series called Set Free to Live Free. We're going through the Ten Commandments. Now, just to kind of keep in mind, the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites who were enslaved for 400 years. And they were given freedom. 2.5 or more people were given freedom from Egypt by God. And yet, they were still living as slaves. Trusting in other things. Trusting in other idols. Other gods. uh, Other names. Well, you and I as believers... We have turned from ourself, from our sin, and from Satan. And we have turned to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. And we still struggle with how to live free and how to live faithful to God. Why? Because sin is still uh, in us. We're still trying to break. We're struggling to break sinful habits in our lives. Sinful patterns in our lives that we have lived with for much of our lives. Just like the people of Israel. Generation to generation. Four generations they've lived in slavery. That's all they knew was slavery. So when they experienced freedom in God, they didn't know what that looked like. What that meant. But God knowing this, God graciously gave us his law. He gave us the Ten Commandments to show us how to live free. How to properly relate to God. How to love God and how to love 
one another. What a huge blessing God's law is. David would say throughout the psalm, specifically Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. His law is something that we love and we cling to. Why? Because it shows us the heart of God and it shows us the way to live. Are we going to live it perfectly? Absolutely not. We'll talk more about that uh, at the end. But so, now the first two commandments. We talked about them uh, extensively the last two messages. The first two commandments dealt with this. They dealt with the supremacy of God in our lives. The first commandment was this. No other gods before me. Now we got to back up a little bit. Because it doesn't just say, no other gods before me. It begins with, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the land of bondage. I am the Lord your God. Who has done these things for you. These things that no one else could have done for you. Because I am the one true God. And because of that. You shall have no other gods before me. All replacements of God will fall short. All replacements. The second commandment. No images. Nothing. Do not try to depict me by anything here on earth, under the earth, above the earth, anything at all. Why? Because all depictions of God, all idols, will always fall short of the one true God. Anything other than God will fail you. Anything other than God will enslave you and give you a false hope. So God, in his great and jealous love, decides and desires to show you what is best so that you can live for what is best. And there's only one that is best, and that is him, and he is worthy of our lives. Which brings us to commandment number three. Commandment number three continues with this thought of the supremacy of God But now he's going to speak on our verbal representations of God. Listen to this, church. This is so important. How we speak about God is how we worship God. How we speak about God is how we worship God. If you have your Bible, go to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to be uh, speaking on a few passages of Scripture here. Um, Most of them are going to be on the screen, but if you're taking notes... Please jot them down. Uh, we're going to kind of go back and forth, but it's, it's important for us to see uh, the value and the glory of the name of God and what we're to do about it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. This is the third commandment. Commandment number three says this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Professor and Bible teacher D.A. Carson says this. As a sign of their respect for God, God's people were to exercise the greatest caution when talking about him or invoking his name. They were to say nothing which might detract from the true appreciation of God's nature and his character. What he means by that is simply this. God wants you to always speak an accurate picture of himself. He always wants you to speak accurately of him. Now church, where are we going to find an accurate picture of God? Are we going to find it through our, through our mind, through our opinions, through our wisdom? Is that where we're going to find it? 
Are we going to find it through the experiences in our life alone? We're not going to find it through those things. Are we going to find it from a guru sitting on top of a mountain who has the only thing with him, his own personal life experiences and his, his uh, thumb and his uh, ring finger holding each other saying, Aum, Aum, Aum. No, that is not how we're going to find the one true God. Listen, you and I, we can't even find him. We can't even, we can't even uh, look for him appropriately. God is so amazing that he has to reveal himself to us. We can never find God on our own. He has got to come down to us. And God has given you 66 books to describe him perfectly. All put together in what we call the Bible. You want to know God, know his word. He wants you to know him. So we know his word. If you want to get an accurate picture of God, go to the word. The the scripture says that Jesus is an accurate picture of God. Hebrews chapter 1. The accurate picture of God. Well, how do we know about Jesus? We go to the word. That's how we know God. So commandment number three is this. You see it on the screen, Exodus 27. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Let me ask you a question. This is a, this is a question we all need to ask ourselves. What does God mean to you? What does God mean to you? Listen, to those of us who know him, And the only way we can know him is through Jesus Christ. The scripture says that very clearly. The only way we can know the one true God is through his son, Jesus Christ. If you know God, then God means everything to you. He means everything to you. There's nothing in our life that is not touched or consumed with God, with us knowing God. With him being a part of every area of our life. No, not just a part. Being our life. God is everything. And so by association, then that must mean that God's name means everything. The name of God means everything. Pastor Lloyd Ogilvie says it this way. For the Hebrew, for the Old Testament people, the name could not be separated from the reality. To know God's name is to know God. To know God is to know God's name. For that reason, the name could not be treated lightly. If we were to say, oh, oh, I have absolute high respect for God, but you do not have respect for his name, you do not have respect for God. It's that simple. The name, he goes on to say, has to do with the very being, the essence of the one whom it identifies. Again, I've said this before. If you're trying to find out who Scott is, you've got to narrow that down. There's a lot of Scots, all right? especially in Scotland. No, I'm not really sure about that. But it means from Scotland, and I have never been there. But my name is Scott anyways. But if you were to say, if you were to describe Scott, okay, Scott is um, uh, Puerto Rican, very nice tan, Black hair. I could say there probably is a Scott like that, but that's not me. 
Okay? Um, if you were to say, I need to know, I want to define Scott Scripture. Well, I've looked it up. There's like one or two in America. Okay? So my name is pretty unique. All right? Now, if you were to describe me as blonde, as handsome, as wise, I would say you, you're getting an accurate picture. Okay. Not really. Okay? But if you were to say a tan, you know, dark-haired person, I'd say, you know what, you, you may be describing a Scott, but you're not describing the Scott Scripture, okay? Specifically that. And it's the same with you. It's the same with you. It would be offensive for you to misdescribe me and, and say that you know me, right? It would be offensive. God's name describes who he is. He says in Exodus 20, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. God is the word Elohim. We talked about this two weeks ago. Elohim means sovereign God. The name visualizes him as creator, as sustainer, as the one who has all power, all might, and all authority. That is the God that we're talking about. His name is also Yahweh, the Lord That is his personal name, his promise-keeping, his covenant-keeping personal name. He is the great I Am. He is the Lord, our God. Listen, God's name, God is holy. God's name is holy. He is completely other. He is completely unique. Everything about God is that. Everything about God is unique and holy. We may have some similar traits that God has because we're made in his image. So that's gonna, that's gonna play out. All right? Uh, he has knowledge. We have knowledge. Is it equal? Not a bit. Okay? God's got power. We got power. How many of you want to arm wrestle God? God has love. We have love. Doesn't compare. Does not compare. He is completely other and unique. And his name should be treated as such. Jesus Christ, when he brought his disciples together on the mount, he said, this is how you pray. This is how you pray. When you begin to utter the words out of your mouth in prayer, here's what you say. Hallowed be your name. Why? His name. There is no name like his name. Exodus 27. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The word take. We got to break this down. The word take means to, to lift up. Okay. It means to lift up. One commentator says this. To take one's name does not mean to speak, simply speak God's name. Okay, it doesn't say you shall not speak the name of the Lord your God in vain. The word to take means more than that. Okay, it means to lift up. It means to carry or to bear God's name. So here's what it means for us believers. The commentator goes on to say this. People who have publicly declared themselves to be followers of God are to exalt God's reputation by living and speaking in a way that honors him. Wow. So to live and to speak in a way that is contrary to the scriptures is to be living a lie. And 
we're giving a false representation of God. I am a Christian. I have Christ in my name. To live any way other than the way he lives is blasphemy. Which brings us to the word vain. To take means to lift up, to bear up, to bear God's name. You shall not bear his name in vain. What does vain mean? Vain means empty. This is important for us to to understand here. Vain means empty. It means groundless. It means without basis, frivolous, insincere. It means this. The unjustified use of God's name. Using his name in a wrong way. Or in a way that has no good reason or purpose. And we're forbidden for that. Listen, this is so important. Because this is, I think, where we, where we get hung up on this commandment. Taking the name of the Lord our God in vain is more than cussing. It's making the unique name above all names common, ordinary, empty. Teacher Arthur Arthur Pink says this, the name of God is to be held profoundly sacred. In our ordinary speech and in our religious devotions, Nothing must enter that in any wise lowers the sublime dignity and the high holiness of that name. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Church, I want to give you, and I had some great help, uh, Pastor Mark uh, Driscoll, who was in Seattle. He gave these four points. And these four points, I think, speak specifically To how we take God's name in vain on a consistent basis. All right? Four ways we take God's name in vain. Number one, by false promises. By false promises. False oaths and and, and vows. Listen, look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 33 to 36. Jesus is speaking here. On the Sermon on the Mount, here's what Jesus says. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, meaning Old Testament... You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Here's what Jesus is saying. In the Old Testament, people would say things like this. Uh, Listen, I'm going to go out of town. Would you take care of my animal? Sure, I'll take care of your animal. No, no, no. I need you you to swear that you're going to take care of it. Listen, I'm quoting here. I swear to God I'm going to take care of it. Okay, And then that person goes off. This person forgets about the animal. The animal starves, dies, or whatever the case may be. He comes back. (laughs) Sorry. Oops. (laughs) Sorry about that. What he has done was he swore to God. And he thought that contract empty, vain. Which means he, he pictures God as empty and vain. That's an Old Testament understanding of it. Some people wouldn't, wouldn't do that because they know they're not going to follow up on their commitments. All right, hey, can you meet me at 10 o'clock this day? And you're like, oh, I don't get up until 10. So uh, sure, why not? No, you swear to me you'll be there? I'll swear to God. Well, actually, <laughs> I kind of honor God a little bit. I swear on the temple of God, okay? Or I swear on the, uh, the treasures in the temple, that kind of thing. Here's what Jesus say about this. 
Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So a false promise. If someone in the Old Testament used God's name and did not commit, that means that they ultimately did not honor or respect God's name. In the New Testament, guess what we do? We bear God's name. You are a Christian. A Christ follower is what you are. So guess what? You don't have to say swear to God. You know why? Because if you say yes, then you have. So let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything other than that, the scripture says, is evil. What a responsibility we have. What does this mean to our our promises? What does this mean to our oaths? What does this mean to our vows? Here's what it means. When you stand right here and you say, I do. You are making a vow before God and all those present. Rich or poor, sickness and health, of death do us part. We have a gracious God who walks with us in our marriage. And he sees the struggles that you and I deal with. He sees that and he knows that. He rejoices when we rejoice. He weeps when we weep. And I understand extenuating circumstances. But what we have to understand is that we committed to God. And if we do not take our marriage honorably, if we do not take our commitments seriously, the very ones that we committed to God for. What does that tell you about your relationship with God? And your contracts, anything that you do. The second way that we take God's name is by false prophecies. To this one, you're thinking, I'm safe. (laughs) I'm good on this one. I don't have to worry about false prophecies, right? Do we? I don't know. See, there's world religions and cults that are out there. You know what they do? They, they, they take the glorious name of Jesus Christ and they redefine him. Some Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, others, uh, Islam and others, they say he's a great prophet. Okay, he's a, he's a great son of the gods. Okay, or he became the son of God by doing good things. All of those are false representations of Jesus that they speak with their mouths and they share with people all over the world. And I've told you this before, that's called redefining. And if you try to redefine perfection, you destroy it. False teachers, world religions and cults who speak of Jesus any way other than what the scripture says is taking his name in vain. You're demoralizing the powerful name of Jesus. 
And you're recreating it into something that it was never intended to be. And it'll always be less. You ever heard someone say, the world is going to end on this date? Yeah, we've been there, right? We've seen the, the, uh, the billboards. And it's interesting, you know, it's like you'll see that it's going to end October 12th and then October 13th it scratches. I meant November 6th. I meant, uh, come on, run from that stuff. Run from it. The Bible gives us signs of the times that we'll know that it's coming soon. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. If you've seen what we've been through the past few years, Jesus is, his coming is imminent. But if anyone gives you a date, that is a false prophet. And those who have done so should be stoned. I'm not going to do that. I'm just saying. False prophets is a bad thing. It dishonors God by doing so. Listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 14 verse 14. Speaking about false prophecy. He says, uh, And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak. Or, or, or did I speak to them? They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and deceit of their own minds. Here's what was going on. Judah, God's people, were in some major weighty sin from the king down. It was bad news. And Babylon was knocking on their door about to take them away. But you had prophets saying, don't worry, we're God's people. We all love the name of God. Now we could live different, but that's okay. We don't have to do what he says, but, we're, but we love his name. So it's okay. Peace, prosperity, that's what's going on in our land. And Jeremiah is, is hearing a word from God. And he's saying, they're, they're lying. They're wrong. Stop following them. What does this mean for us today? Listen, I'm going to say something that's going to sound controversial. But that's okay. You ever know of someone that said, God told me to tell you this? Listen, I'm not saying that God does not speak, but God always speaks through his word. Okay? The canon of the Bible is closed. All right? There's going to be no new word. There's there's no new word. Listen, if God reveals something to you, if God reveals something to you, Here's what you do not do. God told me to tell you this. That's what you do not do. Instead, what you do is, I heard something, I need to check it to be sure that it's valid in the word. If God has given me something about a brother or a sister that I need to share with them, I need to make sure that it's biblical. Maybe there's a sin in their life, or maybe they're dealing with some traumatic experience, and God gives you a word of encouragement or comfort, because that's what the gift is for, encouragement and comfort. If he gives you that, there's got to be a verse to go along with it. And so what you could do is, you know what? God has put you on my heart. And in that, I got in his word, and here's what God's word says. This is my understanding of it. How can I pray for you? How can I lift you up? God has not given us the gift of arrogance. He has given us instead the privilege to walk with each other in humility, speaking love and truth. Truth, truth does not come from you. It must come from his word. God's word says, 
That's what we need to, to cling to. God's word says, one commentator says, to say that God told me what it tries to do, it tries to increase our credibility, but instead it'll send a false message that can decrease his credibility. How many of you get angry when people misquote you? <laughs> right? That's false prophecy. So does God. Because, listen, God only speaks truth. So, yeah, he would be upset if we misquote him. Because to misquote him is to twist truth. False prophet is someone who says things that God never told you to say in his name. How many of y'all know people who are committing absolute personal sin in their own life, but they say it's okay, I prayed about it, and I felt peace? That's false prophecy. I got a license to do what I want because I prayed and I felt peace. Some of us have felt peace to leave families unbiblically. That is not of God. Some have left churches without reconciling. Some have changed life and career because they've chased after the almighty dollar. And what it has done, it has taken them far away from God and their own families as well. Some say, I know what the Bible says, but at that point, run. Listen, if you live in disobedience to the clear teaching of God's word and you feel at peace, you need to check your relationship with God. Number three, this brings us to false pretenses. False pretenses. Do you, uh, this is going to blow some of your minds. There are actually some people who will use God's name for personal gain. Shocking, isn't it? Some people will actually do that. Some people will become a member of a church because they can get clients. Some people will become members of the church so that they can have a higher statue, statue uh, in their uh, midst. <clears throat> a higher uh, uh, appreciation of people. Some people actually... Use God's name for personal gain. You know what those people are? They're pretenders. They're pretenders who wants all the benefits of being connected to God's family without the commitments. They are the people that are going to be here on Sunday, but they're not going to be involved in the small group unless it benefits them. They are going to be the people that's not going to serve on VBS or any other committee unless it benefits them. A false pretender is defined by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse, here it comes, 21. To me, one of the scariest passages in the scripture. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. And Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These people, these pretenders, these people with false pretenses about using God's name. They will do things in his name, but not for his name. 
They are not serving the name of the Lord, but they are using the name of the Lord for their glory. Can you believe that some people will use God's name to bless their sin? What I'm about to say can be very politically charged. I am not proposing Republican, Democrat, anything like that. I'm just telling you the news. In October of 20, no, April of 2013, our president back then, Barack Obama, gave a speech at Planned Parenthood. And in that, he praised the work of Planned Parenthood, how they've been able to rescue so many families by killing babies. And he said specifically, God bless Planned Parenthood. Do you really think, if you know his word, that God would bless the murder of tens of thousands of babies every day? That is a false pretense. And for you to connect the God of all life, who values life, who every person is made in his image, if you would dare to think that, what do you... What, what, What are you showing to the people who hear you? You are giving a wrong picture of God. It's blasphemy. If I hadn't gotten in trouble yet, how about now? Number four, false platitudes. False platitudes. Platitudes is things that you say flippantly uh, with really vain, no meaning. A lot of that can happen right here Sunday mornings. Fake worship. We can devalue the name of God even in our worship. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 and 9, Jesus is quoting Isaiah and he says this, The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain, in emptiness, do they worship me. Listen, when we right here pray selfish prayers by living and at the same time living a life of unconfessed sin, let me ask you a question. Do you pray in Jesus' name? You do, don't you, in your words. You'll close it in Jesus' name, amen. You're living in unconfessed sin and you're praying and you're asking God to bless you. That is vain. That is blasphemy. At this point, then God is just some idol in your life. He's just some idol that that you expect will answer your lusts. God, stay away from my morality, but go ahead and, you know, hook me up with a paycheck. God, I don't want to give an honor to you, but God, I want that new whatever. Fill in the blank. I know that what I can do can affect eternity, but God, I've only got time to affect my temporary. I've only got one life to live, just a few moments. So I need to live it up now. Maybe when I retire, maybe then I'll give everything to you. But God, go ahead and do your part now. And then, of course, when we retire, what do we do? What do we do? We may give some trinkets to God as long as it doesn't affect our monthly payments on our RVs or whatever else that thing may be. And God becomes an afterthought. He becomes something common than that which is the name that is above all names. Common. Let's switch gears. Um, Platitudes. How about this? 
Praise God, hallelujah. Those are great words when used the right way. It is possible that you can use praise God and hallelujah in such a way that renders it meaningless. I mean, think about it. You know people in your life, okay? How you doing today? I mean, everything is wonderful. Just lost everything. Praise God, man, that's awesome. That's great. Ow, praise Jesus. Ow, that was, really? You know what? You know what's real worship? Ouch, that hurt. I'm having a bad day. I know Jesus is with me, but would you please pray for me? People always got the verse, always got the hallelujah and stuff. They say it so much it becomes meaningless. Somebody sneeze right now. God bless you. Now hold on. Did I really did I really stop and think? I really want the God of all creation, my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, to come into your life in a special way today and bless you. If I didn't mean that, then I just spoke in vain. God bless you. God bless you. I basically just said Gesundheit. I just used a different word. I don't even know what that means, Gesundheit. It's German, I believe. But you see my point? We take God's name and make it so common. The unique name above all names, we make it common. False platitudes in our lives. OMG. Oh, he was going to get there, wasn't he? OMG. Oh, my goodness. That's what you mean, of course, right? Oh, my goodness. Listen, when, when you ask people that, and I know this, I've asked people, oh, why do you say that? Their response is usually this. Oh, I didn't mean anything by it. Isn't that the definition of vain? The name that deserves our highest praise becomes nothing more than a meaningless phrase. Take it a step further. In your day and in your walk as believers... Sometimes we're hurt, we're upset, we're frustrated, maybe something going on at the TV in our favorite game or whatever. And we invoke the name, the name of our Lord to damn something or someone. Do you realize what we're doing? We are taking the name of the King of Kings, the just judge, and asking him to judge according to our weak, frail ideal of what judgment is. Vain platitudes. So what are the consequences? The verse specifically says that there's a consequence for our sin. God will not hold them guiltless. To the believer, you have a loss of opportunity. Because in that moment, you had a privilege. You have a privilege. Church, say, say I have a privilege. You have a privilege of honoring the name of God. And when you take it in vain, you have squandered that opportunity. No big deal, right? You don't know God. We have lost an opportunity. We have also lost a witness. Because we have now given someone a failed picture of Jesus. By doing so. What about to the unbeliever? To someone who doesn't know Christ? Listen. 
If you don't know Christ, to never know God, which is to know his name, to know truly who he is, is to never know life. Because in his name is life. Believing in him is life. In John chapter 20 verse 31, the whole book of John was written for this purpose. He says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life. How? In his name. By clinging and confessing the name of Jesus Christ. What's in a name? Let's conclude this. What is in a name? The name is who you are, positively or negatively. Listen, if you're related to Adolf Hitler, I'm sorry. People are going to look at you different. That's the way it goes. Because you're connected to them. What's in a name? A name is a part of you, either positive or negative. It's who you are. A name is what we place our trust in, right? I'm an I'm a, uh, iPhone guy. Well, and I'm always going to do iPhones. Why? I trust that brand. I trust my hair care products. Okay? In a name is where we place our trust. But only in his name do we have life. And only in his name will all bow down. Listen, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and following, you've got to hear this. This, this Jesus... We talk about the name of the Lord our God, Yahweh. Jesus is the one who, when they kept pressing and pressing on who he is, in John 8, he says, before even Abraham, forget Moses, go back even further, before Abraham was, I am. He is the very God who spoke to Moses and gave him the name I am. He is the one who gave him the covenant-keeping name, Yahweh. Jesus is the very one speaking on the mountain to give the Ten Commandments. This very Jesus, you're not going to believe this unless you're already a believer, but check this out. The scripture says, Jesus, though, though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God to be a thing, to be grasped, to be hoarded, to be held on to. Jesus could have said, listen, I'm God. Those people down there are messed up. They're constantly sinning. They're defiling my name. They're defiling my life. They're defiling everything about me. I'm not, I don't have to go there at all. They could just writhe in anguish in their own sin. I'm just going to cling to my, my, my heavenly crown, my heavenly chair, and I'm going to celebrate all the glory of heaven. Jesus did not do that. He went to the very people who were defiling his life and his name. He went to these very people and he instead took on a form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. He became like you and I. And being found in human form, he humbled himself he who we sinned against humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The very one we sinned against. He took our sin and he took our punishment for us. He didn't have to do that. He chose to. He chose to bear the wrath of God. He chose to bear the punishment that's in Exodus 20 for those that defile his name. He chose to take all of that upon himself. 
We cannot take him lightly. That's not all. He didn't just die for us. He rose again from the dead. Nobody does that. Except God. Therefore, it goes on to say this. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see what has taken place here? The name that many times we take so common and so ordinary is going to be the very name that every single person, past, present, and future, whether in hell or in heaven or on the earth, at that time, everyone is going to bow before him either as father and God and king or as judge. His name is not to be taken lightly. He loved you enough to save him. Do not think that he has lost an iota of his holiness by coming down here for you and I. He is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. So I ask you as I close, this name that is above every name, this Jesus, this is the very Jesus from all of history, all the time, even before history. He has been, and he has given you the ability to be set free from sin, set free from chasing false gods, free from even thinking of him wrong and inappropriately. He has given you the freedom by trusting in his son. Will you do that? Will you today Bow your heart and your knee to him as Savior and Lord. Will you keep running from him, knowing now that one day you will bow in judgment and condemnation? Let's pray. Jesus, you are high and holy. Your name is above all names. Forgive us for making it common making it just ordinary. Forgive us for not just speaking that way, but also living that way. God, there are many times when I could represent you appropriately, and I choose by my own choice to choose to misdefine you by the way I look and live and speak. But God, I thank you that that you are a God who doesn't just overlook sin. You bear our sin so that we can bear your name. God, help us to value the name that is above all names in every context of our lives. And God, may it begin with calling you Savior and Lord. So God, my prayer this morning is if there's anybody here who has never come to you in saving faith, God, that today would be the day that they would call on Jesus 
Lord God, that they would do it either at the pew or God, that they would come up and talk to one of our counselors, Lord, who loves them and wants to show them through your word how they can know that they know that they have eternal life with Jesus and with God forever. God, I pray, Lord, that if we are taking your name in vain by a personal sin in our life, God, that we would renounce it now. We have confessed it over and over and over again, but we have not forsaken it. We have not repented. We have not turned. God, may today be the day of repentance. God, I pray that if there's someone here that has been struggling about joining the church, they've, uh, they believe this is where they want to be, but for some reason they've been putting it off, Lord, that today would be the day that they would come and become a member of Buck Creek Baptist Church family as we seek to serve and to follow and to love God and one another together. God, maybe someone has a decision now that they want to pronounce your name to the nations. And maybe you're calling them into ministry so they could learn more about your name and they could, and they could tell your name, Lord, to peoples all over the world. God, if that's them, Lord, that you would call them forward, Lord, to come and to speak to a counselor. God, whatever you want to do right now, we give this time to you. God, you're worthy of this time and all of our time. So God, please use it for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.